I, I feel kind of bad about commercializing my cat. I will use Cleo for <laughs> views, sparingly and tastefully. However, I feel a little bit of apprehension about merchandising Cleo. <laughs> no, I, I feel that. I, I totally get it. But now that I've mentioned it, you know the demands are going to start yeah, coming. Yeah, <laughs> the doors have been kicked open. Sorry. Like I came as fast as I heard. Pandora's um, litter box has been opened. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, the Pandora's box has been opened and Cleo is sitting in it. <laughs> that's why Hope can't get out. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am Blue. I'm joined by Red. Hello. And hiding in the background is somewhere is our producer uh, and editor Indigo. Yep, there we go. Silence uh, as his uh, <laughs> as his form for indigo. That's how you uh, know she's there. To, uh, yeah, welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Um, last time was our like special pre-Thanksgiving episode. This is kind of our like weird calm between the storms of like early December. <laughs> Red, yeah. I don't know about you, I am just spent. <laughs> yeah. The past few weeks have been absurd. And even I kind of mentioned it last time, but now I can talk about it. We had a Lego episode, um, yeah. which was one, amazing, but two, a very tight turnaround for a surprisingly large endeavor. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm working on the Assassin's Creed Valhalla review and I can fit in another entire five minute video. That'll work. Uh, <laughs> and then after that was Byzantines, which was like, yeah, you know, pull all this giant Rome stuff together. It's going to be OK. So I've got a big cup of jasmine tea. I'm doing great. I have been napping generously the past few days. I will be oh, OK. Red, how beautiful. are you? Uh, you know, pretty good. Uh, my own sleep schedule is slowly leveling out after I went into crunch mode to finish uh, a video that'll be coming out <laughs> later. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been sleeping regularly, I guess. Uh, I have I also have tea, but it's like normal regular black tea because mm. I, I'm not I'm not a fancy tea drinker. Sadly, uh, everything else just kind of tastes like perfume water to me. Uh, starting out the spicy takes strong with my most tea is just perfume water takes. Um, but yeah, I mean, Uncle uh, Iroh just appears in the real world, <laughs> kicks down your door and that doesn't kill you, but he offers you a nice cup of jasmine tea to prove you wrong. Politely. Dude, if that's what it takes to manifest him, I'll take that sacrifice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I remember the, the Lego crunch mode was very interesting because it's, it's not like we were going to say, no, Lego, sorry, we're kind of busy this week. Like, are you kidding me? No. Lego wants yeah. to sponsor us. We're not going to tell them, no, it's, uh, this week's not good. How about the next time you make a massive historical set that costs like $500? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically the process was um, essentially uh, Lego reached out to us uh, and told us, hey, we have a, a cool set coming out. We think it might be up your alley. We're doing a live stream to promote it. We'd love to get you guys to like do a little bit of the of the historical context to the building. And we we're like, oh, this is great. We had no idea what it was. We got on a call with them. Yep. Found out, oh, it's the Coliseum. This is super cool. Um, and, you know, we, uh, as you can probably tell by the amount of sponsors that we don't have on this channel, mm -hmm. we like to be picky with our sponsors. Oh, um, yeah. Even now, like as time goes on, we, we have the luxury of getting more and more picky. But when Lego knocks on your door, you open the door. So, yeah, it's Lego. Uh, Are you kidding me? Yeah. So it was funny. They were talking about like how we'd make this video and um, just like a little like five minute thing of like, you know, explaining the history of the Coliseum and talking about like the structure itself and the long history that it had beyond its original intended purpose as a slight middle finger to Emperor Nero. But they were like, yeah, and it'd be really great if you would be able to like have 
have a part of the build in your footage. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I, I, I build Lego sets fairly often. I mean, I've, you know, Cyan and I are a pretty great team. We can, we can totally get a hang on it because, and besides I have, I have tons of Lego architecture sets. This is, this, 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 no big, easy. They said, <laughs> no oh, big. um, yeah, so fun fact about that. Uh, this isn't a Lego architecture set. It's actually the biggest set that we've ever made. And I was like, <laughs> oh, OK. So they sent me a render. I'm like, oh, no, that is quite large. All right. So they sent it in the mail um, and we got to work on it. The funny thing was that I couldn't actually throw the box away uh, at first because the set had not been announced yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to wait until it was announced before I could politely put it in the recycling bin. We were under um, NDAs. But... We weren't allowed to like tell anybody what it was. Exactly. So it was like, yeah, I've got, you know, two projects that are really, you know, taking up a lot of my time. And people are like, oh, what are they? I'm like, oh, well, one of them's a video for the channel. And so anyway, how was your week? Um, <laughs> just politely dodging all of those. But yeah, so that was that was a really fun time. Uh, and obviously it was a super cool set and everyone else agreed, uh, oh, as yeah. uh, shown by the fact that it sold out before we even uploaded our video on the channel. So we posted oh God, really? one as as part of it being... Uh, um, on, on Lego's Black Friday live stream, and then we posted our version on this following Tuesday. And in that in that intervening span of time, it sold out. So good wow. good for them, I guess. Um, clearly, our our spectacular uh, showmanship uh, is, oh. is really what what pushed it over the top. Um, yeah. So it's beautiful. Yeah. It was cool. It was, uh, it was fun. I, I'm looking at it right now. I had to find a place to actually put it because it is so large. Uh, even the, the big shelf that I cleared off for it, it, it kind of sticks out over the edge a little bit. But <laughs> no. it's fine. It's fun. We, we had fun. But Beautiful. Yeah. Aside from that, uh, Red, you had uh, two weeks ago a video on the Zodiac. That was a uh, a patron request, right? So yeah, you kind of were uh, coming in as uh, as um, like you know square one as as most other people would be, right? Well, I mean, I I knew some stuff about the Zodiac, but yeah, this was a subject that. Uh was recommended to me by uh, one of our longtime patrons, which is, uh, yeah, so basically the uh, they requested just stuff about the Zodiacs. They were like, I don't know much about the Zodiac. And I was like, you know what? I also don't know much about the Zodiac <laughs> because I've never particularly cared about any of this. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look this stuff up. Um, and I found it, it was this interesting mix of, oh, there's a lot more here than I thought, and, hmm, there's a lot less here than I thought. Uh, <laughs> Because yeah. some of the Zodiac, it's like, oh, wow, it goes back to Babylon. Wow, they have this star catalog when they were observing the, the movements of the planets and the moon. And this has incredible, like, this was the, the foundation of astronomy as we know it. And and they, they assign these constellations to gods. And by the way, I, I didn't actually talk about this so much in the video because I, I kind of found this out while I was getting the visuals for it. But a lot of those animal constellations were also, like, representative symbols of certain gods. Um, like, if you look on a Babylonian boundary stone... Sometimes it'll just be like this collection of weird symbols, but those symbols all represent an individual god. So rather than just showing the actual god, it'll be like, okay, we've got this this bundle of grain on an altar, and we've got this uh, this eight-pointed star, and we've got this snapping turtle, and those are all representative of different deities, and also often assigned the constellations. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of these make more sense. I highly recommend uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the really cool museums have these like um, art galleries that you can search through and a lot of them have Babylonian boundary stones if you're curious about looking those up you can just get them in glorious HD on the internet who knew beautiful 
Um, but yeah, uh, the, the Zodiac. So, you know, it's like, okay, cool. So on the one hand, it's really deep because you've got this Babylonian history. And then the part where I was trying to figure out how it got brought into Greece, I, I, I don't know if I got this across in the video correctly, but the theory about when it came over, it doesn't seem like anyone's actually bothered to figure that out before because the, the <laughs> most I could get was eh, mid 300s when, when uh, Eudoxus or whatever brought over the, the calendar. It's like, it's not about the calendar, it's about the constellations. And I know you had these constellations because of the Heracles story. And the, yeah. like, the latest that could have been was the 600s. So when did it come over? And they're like, anyway, <laughs> tell me what your sign is so I can micromanage your personality. It's like, oh, <laughs> so... But yeah, the, yeah, basically that was a matter of interpolating like, okay, how how late could this have come in to make sense with the timeline of the myth? Because it's, it's not like you, it's not like Heracles' story makes sense if those constellations didn't exist in Greece at this point, but they, they were created in Babylon. So they had to come over somehow. And I don't know, I, I think those Phoenician traders that brought over Aphrodite are probably the best guess because, you know... Um, Oh, yeah, when in doubt, Ishtar. it's the Phoenicians. <laughs> Most likely. Those guys got around. So, you know, that part was like, while I was working this out, I was like, wait a minute, Heracles. What? Why does nobody mention that Heracles is so important to this? Because it's all constellation myths, and you don't notice that when you're reading through the myth. You're like, oh, yeah, they're explaining how that constellation got there. But then if you're looking at the actual timeline, it's like, when did they start seeing that constellation as a crab? It's not even that visible. It doesn't even look like a crab. Why did they start seeing it like that? Why did they put it in a myth where he fought a much more interesting snake monster? What's happening? And so anyway, that was that was pretty fun. I always like it when I uncover sweeping conspiracy theories while researching these things because they have the advantage of being like actually real and researchable rather than normal conspiracy yeah. theories. Yeah, and then on the other side of things, like the modern constellations are really boring mostly because... <laughs> Because they've just been like downgraded and downgraded by from okay, we've got the Babylonian originals, they have stories, they have weight, they get represented in the art because they mean something. And then we have the Greeks, which are like, uh yeah, we got bulls, we got bulls for days. Look at this bull, it's Zeus, look at this bull, you'll never guess who it is. And then it's like, Oh, well, we got this, uh, we got this shit, we got this goatfish. What are we gonna do with the goatfish? Uh his uh his pan was feeling a little frisky that day and gave himself a tail. You know how he do, and it's like, okay, sure, why not? Um so you end up with some of them getting like borrowed stories and some of them getting weird non-stories. And that was mm -hmm. a little disappointing. I was like, okay, this is the crab. It's a crab. Hercules stepped on it once. Okay, this is the <laughs> lion. He's a lion. Hercules skinned it once. And it's just, you know, yeah. there's not a lot going on there. Um, and then w when you get into the recent history, you start getting, you know, the astrology website levels of critical research. Time traveling goatfish, which I thought it was amazing how invested our community instantly got in the conspiracy web behind time traveling goatfish. The Discord blew up oh. with it. The subreddit blew up with it. Like our Twitter was going on about it. We got emails about it too. We got emails it from was people amazing. who were like, you're going to want to look at this. I think I found the origin of the time traveling goatfish myth. It was insane. I loved it because yeah. I needed everyone to know. Because like, if you thought my, my, wait a minute, how deep does this Heracles thing go thing was bad? When I found the goatfish myth, initially I was like, oh, okay, time traveling goatfish. Okay, it's on the Wikipedia page, so it's probably sourced. And then I checked and, oh, baby, it wasn't. Um, but when I started trying to find the primary source behind it, because I was like, this, this can't be this complicated. There's got to be some Greek philosopher, or some writer between like the 700s and the 400s who wrote something about this because they were getting all kinds of philosoph uh, philosophical about like the nature of existence and time. And it feels like it could have been one of those weird little morality plays or little just so stories, but it wasn't anywhere. And I also kind of felt that like, 
I don't know if this is just if this is like the least damning bit of evidence, but I don't think precus is a Greek word. <laughs> no, it's distinctly a Latin suffix. <laughs> right, which means it would have to be like a Romany thing, but it's not like they cared particularly about time traveling goat fishes or the god of time. So that was just, oh, it was all kinds of whack. And a few people reached out, like, I think I found it. I think I found where it came from. Um, but n- not like, I think I found the myth, more like, I think I found the first time it was put on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, someone did like a like a before this year Google search um, and found a reference to it in like a camp counselor guide for some like Texan summer camp for kids where it just had like it was like the guidebook for when the teachers were covering astronomy because, you know, summer mm-hmm. camp, what else are you going to do? And it had a, a mixture of myths from various parts of the world, uh, most of them not sourced. And then it had like, this was the part that was just like insult to injury. It had a citation list at the back of like the sources, but it said like, these aren't all accurate and not everything is sourced. And I was like, then why even include the list? So yeah, Uh, uh, I think we've just witnessed cytogenesis in action as it were, uh, where, uh, where citations manifest out of the ether because enough people have just heard it that they assume it must be true. And then it gets written down in something credible enough that people cite it from there. Yeah. It's a classic example of, yeah, somebody told me, but they're the ones just making it up. And then somebody told them and then they told somebody and then it it goes on and on and on. And suddenly you have a story out of nowhere. The time traveling goatfish's power wasn't time travel. It was manifesting itself out of thin air. Yeah. 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 That, oh, that was frustrating. It was like, I, there was already a perfectly good, like, wait, nobody's ever thought of this before for that video. It was the, the, the Heracles connection was already so cool. And then the freaking goatfish consumed my every waking thought for like a week and a half. <laughs> it became the thing that I was ranting about for that video. Yeah. Uh, it was a r- wild ride. And I, what I liked about doing that video is that uh, I only really had to do a handful of visuals because I could just do really massive star charts and then zoom in on individual parts of them which was uh, the exact right way to do that. And nobody made those star charts before. Like, there are star charts, obviously, but nobody had had quite combined that with, and let's also put the Zodiac constellations accurately and oriented correctly. Oh, astrology cares so little about astronomy, it physically hurts me. Um, (laughs) uh, Fun fact about those maps, actually, uh, they are a little bit distorted because I put Polaris in the center, but Polaris is not actually at the center of the uh, circular projection with the Zodiac around the outer rim because the zodiac is aligned with the uh, orbital plane where the sun passes through, but Polaris is offset by the Earth's axial tilt, so it would actually be off-center. But I liked it better this way, and it's more centered and it makes me happy, so... <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a podcastable footnote as opposed to like having to go through the agony of, of slightly skewing the entire star charges to make it fully astro- uh, astronomically accurate. And there's a difference between doing that and making yeah. up time-traveling goatfish. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, I wasn't yeah. going to redraw those freaking star charts by hand. I'd already drawn them by hand once. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't no, doing that again. Not. But yeah, yeah so good times. on the other side of our of our, our main videos for the past two weeks, we had the the big old wrap up to the the Rome plot line uh, with Byzantines <laughs> part three, a, a decent while in the making. Uh, and I feel I feel pretty vindicated because the overwhelming sentiment uh, in the comments was just raw sadness, which is exactly what I was going for. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want all of you to feel the pain that I went through because, like, look, emperors rise, empires fall. Like, it, it's just business. We can't get too upset about it. This shit happens. It's history. But what made me, like, literally almost start crying when I was doing the research for this video was in, in looking over my uh, my Byzantine history book from uh, John Julius Norwich, a mammoth three-volume uh, chronicle of the whole thing, was uh, talking about the part where um, there was one of insert number here, civil wars uh, between Anna of Savoy, former empress after her husband died, uh, and the guy who was basically acting as the emperor, John Cantacuzinos, even though he wasn't coronated until like five years later. Uh, and she was was paying for some help from, from the Venetians to go fight against the guy who was basically the emperor. Uh, but the problem was that she didn't have the money to pay for, you know, Venetian galleys to go and fight because she didn't control the treasury uh, and she wasn't really in charge technically anymore. But what she did have was the shinies, the crown jewels. So Aww. in the absence of money, she pawned off the crown jewels as collateral for the warships to go fight her losing battle in the war. And then, you know, it didn't work. She lost. The Venetians Aww. never got paid. So they're like, no, we're we're keeping these. This was part of a transaction for, you know, collateral for a loan. We never got our money, so we're not giving you these back. So the Venetians kept the crowns. So when John Cantacuzanos and his wife, Irene, got crowned in like 1347 or whatever it was, the whole thing was that their crowns weren't actually there. So they had to make copies out of tinted, like colored glass, which that's what almost broke me. Like forget like Constantinople, 1453, the Ottomans, like I don't care, whatever. It's no big deal. But like, oh man, the crowns got me. That's what really hurt. Uh, yeah. Out of all of that, that's like, oh, shit, dude. Um, that's illustrative. That That's yeah. just like, wow. Oh, cool. That, that's what hit me in the feels. Uh, everything else was just like, yeah, you know, it's the Byzantines. They, they fail a bunch, and we laugh at them, but they keep failing without actually dying, and that's what makes them special. <laughs> so <laughs> I, my favorite little graphic was at the end where I have the thing where it's like the all, you know, all of the, the bad things that happen in the empire with, like, the wars they lost and the Muslim conquests and the Battle of occurred and all that other stuff and everything getting bad, and then I kind of flip it and show, like, all of the good things that happened with, you know, Constantine and um, Heraclius and um, the, the Thematel reforms, the Comnenian restoration and all of that. And then as I kind of flip back to show both of them, I say like, you know, the Byzantines were often defeated but never vanquished except for a tiny little asterisk which points to uh, the Ottomans in 1453. But <laughs> even then, as many of the comments told me, you can you can draw the line in other places. You can do you know, uh, the Empire of Trebizond, you can do Epirus, you can you know, continue with the Moria, which is what I did even though some people seemed to miss that. So there are, you know, Byzantine states after 1453, so it's not as, as clean a break uh, as people make it out to be. Um, but then some people go and say that other places are actually the true successor to Rome, which oh, I'm not about to get into that. All of those are <laughs> bullshit because oh. the Byzantines were the Roman Empire and all of these other places are places that weren't the Roman Empire. The Ottomans <laughs> are not the Roman Empire. Russia was Orthodox, but it was never the Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire, like, eh, kind of? But there's a big gap between when the Roman Empire in the West fell and then when that nonsense got established. So like, eh, not continuous, not not a thing. So <laughs> all of these other places where it's like, actually, you know, you can talk. No, you can't because Rome is Rome and other places that aren't Rome are not Rome. I feel like I'm mad the, about this. <laughs> the empires describing themselves as like, oh, I'm the heir to Rome. It's like celebrities talking about like being the next Beatles or something. It, it's not oh, like yeah. it's not like they're actually like their long lost children or whatever. It's more like. No, 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 guys. We're a big deal on par with the biggest deal, you know? Yeah. Um, and 
it's like, I get it. There's a lot of ways to try to, like, you know, channel uh, a past to, you know, infuse whatever, like, cultural agenda you're pushing with the appropriate, like, hallmarks of glory. So all of the 1800s is just, like, you know people doing neoclassicism and, like, neo-gothicism and all of that to try to, like, emulate a more regal past. And, like, that's fine. That People do that. It's it's cool. But, like, don't don't pretend you're something you're not. It's like, this is the conversation <laughs> we were having last week. You don't have to tell us you're cool. If you're yep. cool, you can just be cool. Like, yeah. Ugh. Let the empire so speak I, for itself, yeah. guys. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, the Byzantines thing was fun because that was, like, a, you know, a long in the works 11 part video series uh, that's been going on for quite a while. So I've mm. got some history re-summarized in the works with uh, the Augustus trilogy, um, the, the two-parter on the Roman Empire, and then eventually in like a year and a half, I'll probably get to um, recompiling the Byzantines into a history remastered or history re-summarized. But uh, it was fun to, to get the series done. Um, so now it's like, oh, well, I've, I've done I've done Rome. <laughs> I've done it. We can go home. What do I do now? I'm probably going to oh, end no. up jumping way back and, and start at the start with like Bronze Age Greece or something. I think that'll be cool. But that's Ooh, that's some yes. videos that I'm, I'm giving myself a break from <laughs> uh, from that. We've got other things that we need to yeah, we need yeah. to accomplish. So, yeah, no, but that was a fun video. People people seem to enjoy it. I yeah. enjoyed it uh, uh, because it was I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. it. Uh, can you tell it's been a couple of weeks for us here oh, over Lord. at OSP? It's um, been a couple weeks, yeah. Yeah, it's been a year. I mean, we've been in, like, go, go, go mode since March, basically. And yep. we haven't really stopped. So, no. I mean, like, we, we've blocked out some time at the end of December to just, like, kind of, like, take a soft crash. I don't know if the crash is going to end up being that soft or not. Yeah, <laughs> I, I we'll see. I blocked out the last week of the year to just not do anything. I don't know if I'll, if I'll end up running through that into January, so... Yeah. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll it's it's a lot i mean yeah. this year's been a lot for everyone i, I think we've been yeah. in this weirdly like kind of insulated position just because you know for for youtube we work from home it's it's yeah. you know not as disruptive for us to i mean when when it was like okay stay in your house and and don't go out it's like oh no what i already do most of the time um <laughs> so yeah. you know it definitely kind of cushioned us from the worst of the crash but uh, what this means is that while we were dealing with like, okay, the world's going nuts, but we're practically speaking on the ground, not much has really directly changed for us. So it was pretty easy to kind of just hunker down, go into work mode and focus on that instead, rather than yeah. like freaking out mm -hmm. or spiraling or anything like that. And I think, you know, it definitely served us pretty well. Like we weren't, you know, we weren't burning ourselves out working way harder than normal. We were just kind of like, okay, just focus, just, just keep going, <laughs> keep on trucking. Yeah. Moving this nice straight line to the end of the year and then mm -hmm. reassess. And now we're at the end of the year and we're reassessing and it's like, maybe we need like a nap. <laughs> yeah, I, I think kind of jumping back to the whole Byzantines thing, uh, one of my, my points that I really wanted to hammer in this last video was like, there's, excuse me, there's a reason that they... <laughs> lasted that long and it wasn't just because they were like perfect or anything it's because even when everything was a mess they didn't call it quits they kept doing what they could to take the victories where they could get them and keep yep. pushing even when it seemed like all was going to go to hell so i'm trying to channel the uh the moral <laughs> of the, the the story of the roman empire which is adapt uh when you have to adopt what you need to uh and just do what you can to make it work because it's only over when you quit and decide that it's over so yep. the only way um, you lose is by giving up yeah exactly so that's what i'm trying to tell myself and, and make this whole byzantine story uh applicable to our modern day because 
Yeah, such is life. So, mm. um, with those videos out of the way, a nice good slate of videos, if I do say yeah, so yeah. myself. Possibly oh, the hardest I've ever worked uh, in a month uh, <laughs> between all of the other things going on with Valhalla and Legos and Byzantines. Um, oh, let my. us uh, take a quick jump over to some announcements. Uh, and by announcements, I mean announcements. We kind of only have one. Uh, yep. We have uh, merch. Uh, we, we got some good merch. We own, um, we own, uh, we <laughs> operate uh, a shop on Redbubble. Uh, yep. We rent uh, at best. It's net code. It doesn't uh, whatever. Ah, uh, <laughs> merch. Redbubble. It's a store. You can buy things on the store and get it shipped to your house with our drawings for you to wear and or drink from if it's a mug. Um, links in the description. Good gifts. It's good stuff. Uh, got a lot of designs from a whole bunch of videos. Um, and then oh, we and also podcast have... designs. Uh, I, oh, I made. That's yeah. right. I made three podcast designs, uh, and they're on our shop, and you should look at them, because one of them is the Time Heist poster, and I know y'all yes. want that one. We got Time Heist, we have, uh, I forgot about the looming specter of colonialism, and then yep. we also have just a nice OS Pod logo um, for you to uh, drink from while you while you listen to us here on the OS Pod. Um, so yeah, uh, check your shipping options, because uh, at this point in the game, um, you need to be quick to make sure that things show up on time, um, but when in doubt, just order sooner than you think you need to, and then even if things get delayed, you'll be okay. I ordered my mom some uh, uh, some tasty treats for her birthday uh, last month, and they showed up fully two weeks late. Uh, uh, <laughs> such is life. Does uh, the USPS so. know that the election is over and they can stop throttling the mail now? Oh no, this was FedEx. Uh, oh, <laughs> even worse. Yeah. I, one time I unironically just like fully accidentally referred to a piece of mail as a ballot because it's just been so ingrained Ooh. in my head. It's like, oh, yeah, no. I have to send this ballot and science like, darling, these are our Christmas cards. But fuck. <laughs> Scars of 2020 run deep. Yeah, so that's our announcements. We've got merch. Go get some. Uh, but with that, I think it is time to transition over into some Discord Q&As. Woo! Welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer you guys' questions straight from the Ask OS Pod channel over on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you want to support the channel and help keep the lights on, head over to Patreon, link in the description below, uh, and drop your question and ask OS Pod for a chance to be featured on the podcast. This first question is from patron Gruffall007. Is there any part of the channel you would like to change but feel like you can't because it's become an integral part of the show? Huh. Hmm. I don't really think so because i kind of like how we do our videos <laughs> we've why we honestly do like i feel like we've kind of like struck it exactly right and part of it <laughs> is because we've like gone through the trial by fire that is like trying to do youtube well-being in college so oh yeah. like red and i have this really nice system where it's two people working on the channel but we don't actually need to work directly with the other person so like we both lived in like separate cities in different colleges and we had our own entire schedule so like red would be doing all of her stuff and she'd like send me scripts to check over and i'd be doing all of my own stuff and i'd send her scripts to check over but like all of yep. the animation and editing was like entirely separate in our own little pipeline so we got like so good at just you know doing our own thing and keeping it working which has been great for us being out of college where we still live in different cities but i as far as like the way that we run the channel i'm 
I, I'm quite pleased. What would I change, though? I don't know, Red. Do you yeah. have anything you change? Well, the thing is, I think we've already actually uh, changed some things that weren't working, but we just kind of don't draw attention to it. Like, That's you know, fair. when I started the channel, I was making Shakespeare videos using exclusively movie footage in really poor quality because I was using <laughs> iMovie, and oh boy, iMovie, Ugh, iMovie. Um, but you know, like I was just using movie footage and I, I would sometimes use like little meme inserts and, and stuff like that. And uh, then at some point I was like, you know what? I don't like cutting to black frames between clips when I do jokes. I think I should do something else, but I'm not very good at art yet. So, ah, whatever. Um, so, you know, just the little inserts of just me talking, that was already a change. Uh, and boy, those went through some, uh, some rough patches before I settled <laughs> on the style I use now. And even then, like, the style I use in the main videos is a little different than the style I use for the Trope Talk videos because I drew those frames like two years apart. But, you know, uh, every time we do something new in the channel, it's always a bit of a risk, but it's mm -hmm. it's usually worth it because yeah. it, it's good. It, it works out pretty well and people tend to be pretty accepting and we, we try a lot of different things. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, um, you, you know, it's it's... It's never a good idea to get locked into something just because that's how you've been doing it, you know? Like, th mm -hmm. there's always a process of growth and change, and if you if you try and stifle that, you're just going to end up producing worse art than you would if you allowed it to organically grow. Yeah, so. I think what's really great about the way that we do this is that it's such an iterative process where we have, you know, like, a video out each week, and we, we have the luxury of being able to alternate, so we're not on mm -hmm. a weekly time crunch, but, um, you know every video is a chance to do something better. So for me, I'm really glad that in the past few years, I've been able to uh, update my visual uh, for the blue talking frame. So it's not just me like six years ago art that, that Red <laughs> did for us very early on, which was which was amazing and, and, and still works. But I was like, you know, in, in Red's main video, it, you know, she has the her like standing against a white background. Like I should really update that to be more in line with it. So we, mm. we updated to that. I started doing the maps in a different way to make them so much better which was a huge change because I used to be able to only have like one static image at a time but now I work with huge files so I can zoom in and out and move and that is a total game changer yeah. um so that's been really big uh but I mean honestly I don't know if there's anything right now that we feel like we super need to change because we've been very flexible in iterating and evolving as we need to go so yeah. I, I feel like uh the answer to your question is not necessarily one particular thing but more of kind of like an insight into how how we go about doing what we do because even when we talk about like oh here's the process of like making a video that's like one behind the scenes thing that doesn't really get at the whole like arc of what like running a channel is like so am i making sense i don't know uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah no. i think you're making okay. sense um <laughs> this is just this is a this is a complicated like this is a surprisingly complicated question because it's like oh yeah. is is there anything that you feel you can't change because it's locked in and it's like not really i mean yeah. there's things we don't particularly want to change because we like how they go but uh if something's not working, we, we will change it. it yeah. And uh, actually, just in general, just for artists in general, uh, the number one way to avoid burnout is to change the things that you cannot tolerate. Like, mm -hmm. I, I get it. I really do. Sometimes you just got to, you know, head down, power through. But if you are constantly doing the head down, power through thing, you are going to wear yourself out. And that is how you burn out. And it is much harder to recover from just stalling out than it is to slow down, take a break, and then start up again. It's um so yeah, yeah. It, avoiding burnout is I think the number one way to to sustain a long term art project like this one. You know, you, definitely you got to make sure if you're if you're stalling out your engine every couple months, the car is not going to survive very long. You know. Eh, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I um, 
I was I was going to say something, then I totally forgot what it was. That's oh no, indicative of my past few weeks. Um, my car hot takes were too distractingly good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess I was going to say like for me, one of the things that I, I realized I needed to change was the way that I I work on my main scripts and my videos because I had been doing mm. like history summarized back to back to back to back, and it was slowly killing me because I yeah. wasn't happy with the early on quality of my research. And as I got better at researching, it took more time, which is okay. That's that, you know, that's how it goes. But I ended up kind of doing like a little like side pivot to doing history makers, which is 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 much less of a research investment because I'm only digging into one very specific character and I don't need to, you know, like blow out the library to to just yep. like take every book off the shelf and figure out every last detail about a certain thing. I can just be like, let's talk about, you know, Ibn Khaldun, which is a fun sneak peek in next week's episode. <laughs> Um, but then there's history hijinks, which is like, let me just goof around for like eight minutes about a topic in history, which is way less research investment than either of those. So that was a really helpful thing. So adapting not only like how one makes videos, but what one is making videos about, um, even if it's all still within the umbrella of history, was was incredibly useful to, to me personally. You know what's funny about that? Uh, when I started Trope Talks, it was for the same reason. I mm -hmm. was like, God, all these classics, they take me months and the art. Oh, I just need a series that I can do quickly and easily. And and now they're regularly breaking 20 minutes and yeah. like, they, oh, I don't know, man, everything I do. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, that's that's definitely that's definitely part of the process is finding new things to do that are still good, but less crushing so that you can do the yeah. things that that really take it out of you without having to do them week after week. Yeah. Um, Schedule it and balance it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great. Much longer answer to that question than I anticipated, which is awesome. Thank you to uh, <laughs> That's why it pays to be a patron. Yeah, pay to be, pays <laughs> yeah. to be a patron. You might get um, an eight-minute answer to your question in <laughs> the Q&A. Oh, no. No, no. It's all good. This is content, guys. Content. Uh, <laughs> this next question comes delicious, from delicious Discord content. user Blackjack. If you had to live in an ancient empire, which one would you choose and why? Ooh. Okay, what's the definition of ancient? Because like some people define ancient as before 1500, but some people do define it that way. So are we saying mm. like, like 1000 AD, 500 AD? Where are we drawing the line? Because that really changes it. I feel like this is a, a and I feel like question that you would need to answer in terms of what defines ancient. Yeah. And okay. I think empire is a little shaky too. Um, it, that's valid. Let's say like a, a place in history. Let's say a place <laughs> in history. Where would you want to live? If we can set the cutoff at 1000 AD, if we can set the cutoff at 1000 AD, in my opinion, the correct answer is Iberia because like Ooh. medieval Muslim Spain was ah amazing. <laughs> the place. So great. Multicultural. People were able to live their life and do what they wanted. Oh, it was great. Um, but before then, um, I mean, I have to take the basic bitch answer and say probably Byzantines just because, like, they had it going on. Everything else was going to hell, and they were, were, were keeping it going. It's like you can do a lot worse than the Byzantines. Um, I don't See, know. That, that's I, two answers. Red, you go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I feel a little bad because I was like, you know, I bet if I lived in ancient Mesopotamia, I could explore a lot more easily. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I could just pick a direction and go, and there wouldn't be stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, there. there might just be because I've been cooped up for too long and haven't had a vacation mm. in a year and a half. Because, yeah. oh boy, the wanderlust has been getting pretty intense. Um, yeah. But I also think just like, um, I don't know, because you're, you're limiting it to empires, which means fundamentally we're, we're mostly stuck in Eurasia at this point. Um, I mean, there's plenty of really rad like Mesoamerican empires, 
but I don't know if I would super want to live there. <laughs> That's valid. A lot of, lot of internal politics and, and like fighting and, and blood sacrifices on the side. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like at, at a certain point in history, everyone was doing it, but it doesn't mean I want to live yeah. there, you know? No, you're really rolling the dice on there. I, I would venture um, kind of what you were saying is I would say if you go to 500s BC, uh, Achaemenid Persia would be a pretty sweet place to live because they were another example of like big multicultural overwhelmingly not assholes, um, you mm. could do a lot worse. Like, obviously, the Greeks had a, a negative customer experience. However, they were definitely <laughs> an exception. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I know about the, the pre-colonial African empires, because I remember some of those were, like, really dope in the just tons of gold and cool trade uh, trade routes dimension. But um, I wish I'd remembered more about them. Um, yeah. Um, Axum is a good one uh, in Ethiopia. Mm. A lot of really cool stuff. Huge architecture there. Um, Great true. Zimbabwe. It's got some pretty cool stuff. Great Zimbabwe. Um, that was. I think that was the one that had the trade route up to China. Um, yeah, maybe. because they were smack on the Indian Ocean. So they had a right. lot of, of like and stuff they, happening around, which is really cool. Biannual trade winds that would reverse, which would make it really easy to sail back and forth. Exactly. Yeah, you could not yeah. ask for a better weather ecosystem. It's um, like... Like, if you put that in a fantasy book, they'd be like, oh, really? <laughs> Are you mm -hmm. serious? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the fe I feel like wherever I lived, I'd, I'd pretty quickly just, like, bounce <laughs> go wherever <laughs> I wanted, you know? Yeah. Advantages of pre, uh, pre the modern world where we know what everything looks like and where everybody lives. Yeah, I mean, I would I would posit like Han era Silk Road would be yeah, pretty good for say, that because you can just go all like, the way across, ooh. like hit up Rome, see what's going on over there. True. Um, opens True. up like any period of time with like widespread trade. And here's the secret. It's like there's always kind of widespread trade. It's just a matter of like how much is going on. But like oh, be in a place that's well connected and you're going to be pretty good. And then I'll also like try to aim for a place that wasn't like horribly sexist, Athens, uh, horribly <laughs> yeah, racist. No. Um, Greece isn't even on my Europe. list, man. Yeah, no. <laughs> no offense to ancient Greece, but no, no thank that, you. That's correct. <laughs> I mean, at that point, it's like, oh, I'm going to just go off into the mountains and see if I can find the hunters of Artemis and <laughs> hang out with yeah, them Yeah, it's while. like the architecture is good, but it's not worth living there. <laughs> just like muttering, please be historically accurate. Please be historically accurate. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, there, there are a lot of good places to live in history. Also, a lot of bad places to live in history. Um, oh, absolutely. Rome, like peak empire, probably not worth it. Probably not yeah. worth it. A little too much hassle. Mm -hmm. This has been uh, real estate with OSP. It's, it's all about location, location, and time period. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this next question comes from Salk of Wheat. To both of y'all, for somebody looking to finally read the classic Greek works so commonly discussed for themselves, are there any translations you would recommend or avoid? Ooh. I don't know if I can go as specific as saying translations because the it, it will ultimately depend on how you like to read because there are different things that a translator will prioritize. Some oh, will yeah. prioritize keeping as close to the original meaning of each word as possible. Some will try to go with the flow of these specific sentences. Um, some are more literal. Some are more poetic. Some people try to replicate meter in a translation, which is an endeavor, but is really cool when it works. So what oh, I would yeah. suggest is if there is a book that you want to get into, look up a like translation comparison and look up the first like 10, 15 lines of the book in various people's different translations. And then whichever one of those strikes you is what you like, go with that one. Yeah, uh, I don't really have much to weigh in here. I don't really have much of an eye for the different translations because mostly I'm like, 
I've got a very simple black and white attitude for this. Sometimes I'm like, wait, that's wrong because it's different. Or like uh, Mm -hmm. they translated a word and they used a word that had implications that the original word didn't have. And I'm like, ah, how dare you mislead me so just because I can't read ancient Greek. You know, it's it's not very helpful. Uh, It is, I, I think if you're trying to sort of interpolate the original without having to learn how to read ancient Greek, uh, probably best to read various different translations, like you said. Um, compare them, see what works for you. Um, I was recently looking up uh, Medea, uh, Euripides, right? I think that was Euripides. Um, uh, and, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's been a while oh, okay. since I've been around it's, Greek theater. <laughs> I'll Google it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, no, it's, uh, that we would never. That would be extremely cheating. Let me just coincidentally. It, no, it was Euripides. Ah, <laughs> uh, there we go. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Um, but yeah, uh, and I, I was looking up various different translations, just not not because I was like, oh, I'm really curious, but because the one I found originally was using a lot of like these and thous that was just making everything confusing. <laughs> I was oh, like, yeah. this can't possibly be necessary. <laughs> I know that those weren't in the original Greek. Um, yeah. And then sometimes you get the ones where it's like, oh, they rewrote this to sound like actual people dialogue. And then you get the ones where it's like, oh, you rewrote this line by line, but feels really stilted and weird yeah because <laughs> it's like and it's not even punctuated accurately yeah. jason's it, like medea how could you slay our boys and medea's like you never loved them like i did <laughs> and it's just like wow it's like baby's first greek tragedy over here yeah i think like obviously different works will have different things about them that that make them you know like good to read so there are epic constructions and the lyricism of the Homeric stuff. There's different things in just historical prose that you would, you know, be you know working with. But the thing about theater is that there obviously between tragedy and comedy, there are different types of, of ways that people speak. And one of the, uh, the, the things that I found very funny was when I was doing a class on the plays of Greek and Roman comedy, specifically focusing on um, Aristophanes and the Roman comedian Plautus, um, mm. you can really tell when a translation was written written in like the early 1900s because you know one <laughs> yeah. of the characters is like hello good sir i bid you uh, a fine morning and such and such and such whereas you know these were comedies they were written to be funny so more modern translation would have a character be like sup asshole how's it going it's like that's funny that's a good <laughs> translation <laughs> I think another thing that to keep an eye out for with translations is... Yo, dickhead, what's cracking, <laughs> says Dionysus. Exactly. Uh, it's just something that I've kind of encountered in trans- like reading translations from like uh, Chinese works, and also they do this a lot with um, Shakespeare books, is look at the quality of their footnotes that give context for things that might not necessarily yeah. click for you immediately when you are reading these texts, because I know this is something that I think almost works a lot better for the Shakespeare uh, copies that have... God, I'm trying to make the Folgers <laughs> Shakespeare library copies. Um, oh, big ups to Folgers. Big ups to Folgers. But, uh, you know, there are some things that were commonplace back then or might have had a different meaning that don't have that same meaning. But yeah. the way that the translation works, it wouldn't make sense to change the word. Almost like if, like if you're reading a comic from, like, the 50s or 60s and they, like, use the word dick, it doesn't mean the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, ah yes uh, yeah, you can... have you also seen the old meme of like batman comics from the 40s where euphemisms yeah. that mean something today didn't have those same meanings exactly. in the 40s are you perhaps discussing the bit where the joker's like aha this will be my finest boner yet? yes exactly <laughs> precisely uh you can everyone's like robin we have to figure out what joker's boner is up to it's just like cool tell me more yes. it's that effect but oh, for fantastic. translations of classical 
works. So, you know, footnotes can also be a great helper there, but there are very yeah. vast qualities of footnotes. So it's something you should look for when you're looking at those translations. Yeah. I would say this if you like have the luxury the... of being in a bookstore, like compare them in front of you, but there are also ways to look online mm -hmm. to, to check things out uh, as yeah. well. Oh, hello, Cleo. Oh. Are you going to step all over my things as I record this podcast? Say Please hi do. to yeah. your adoring fans. I can't wait to tell the shelter that, like, hey, by the way, so this cat that we adopted from you, like, she's famous now and everyone loves her. <laughs> Dude, if we if we make Cleo merch, you can just walk in wearing it and be like, so she's famous now. <laughs> I, I feel kind of bad about commercializing my cat. I will use Cleo for views <laughs> sparingly and tastefully. However, I feel a little bit of apprehension about merchandising Cleo. <laughs> no, I, I feel that. I, I totally get it. But now that I've mentioned it, you know the demands are going to start yeah, coming. Yeah, the doors have been kicked open. <laughs> Sorry. Like I came as fast as I heard. Pandora's um, litter box has been opened. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, the Pandora's box has been opened and Cleo is sitting in it. <laughs> that's why Hope can't get out. Stuck under a cat foot. <laughs> this, like, <laughs> this next question comes from Barry. How long does it take to plan a project like a podcast? I imagine there'd be a fair bit of research involved considering the topics you guys cover. Oh, ha, ha, I laugh. <laughs> well, this is interesting because, uh, Indigo, I feel like you're actually the most qualified person to discuss this because you were the one who came to us with like a, a painstakingly written up and researched pitch for the podcast. And we were like, well, shit, we could start in a week. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, well, honestly, um, uh, in my professional opinion, podcasts are one of the easiest things that you can get started because as long as you have um, something to record with, something to talk about, um, and somewhere to distribute your podcast, those are really the only three things that you technically need to get started. Mm. There are a number of podcast hosting sites. We use Transistor, but Anchor is another popular one. There's um, a, If you just Google podcast um, RSS feed hosts, you will see endless lists and articles about comparing them. Um, I would recommend taking a day or two to do your research before you pick one, but that's going to be basically all of your technical side in terms of distribution of your podcast. So when you're starting a project like this and you're trying to figure out your um, distribution and tech stuff, get that all out of the way and then start locking down creative because distribution is going to inform that a lot of the times. Um, in terms of planning out the creative side, you know, that can kind of vary uh, OSP mm. already has this very lovely framework um, and community around it. So for our pitch, it wasn't uh, so much coming up with a completely new idea, but how we wanted to frame it. And that took um, two live streams listening to Red and Blue Trash podcasts on my end. <laughs> uh, but on your end, you know, you might need to take uh, some time to figure that out. Um, the way I like to approach creative is to write it up in a treatment um, there's a lot of different formats this can take. I'm most familiar with it in terms of pitching short films, but uh, basically your treatment is going to have your elevator pitch on it, which is a line where you talk about what you're doing if you were to pitch your idea at an elevator. So the OS pod is an OSP after show where red and blue answer fan questions in a casual setting. That's how I would pitch it in an mm. elevator. Then you write up Pretty accurate. Much yeah. yeah, and then you write up a much longer version underneath it where you spend a few paragraphs talking about what specifically you're going to do on the show. So for our podcast, for example, um, I wrote up like the first section will discuss anecdotes and facts that didn't make the actual video that week. And each host can comment on the other host's content 
and the second half of the show will be a Q&A. Um, it was much longer than that, but that's the gist of it. Once you have yeah. your creative creative lined up, you've already found how you're distributing, you just need to find um, a way to record your podcast and edit it. This can vary based on your skill set. So in our case, I've worked on podcasts before, so since I was already on staff, it was kind of just like, well, let's just pick a time to record and then we'll do it. But you might need to yeah. figure yeah. out if there's a microphone you need to buy or what to record your podcast on. Um, and that kind of technical side is going to vary a lot based on what... This is a much more technical answer to the question than I think it actually demanded. Basically... <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I would recommend just take the time you need to do your research before you start any po project. Um, it helps to really have everything down on paper. So there's no like set amount of time that a project should take. But we functionally got the pod up and running in about two weeks. Um, I know some yeah. people yeah. who have started podcasts that took them like two months to actually get going. Uh, it really just depends mm -hmm. on how clear an idea you have going into it, how much experience you have and... Um, how many resources you need to find. Yeah. So for I think us, it also, sorry, oh, right, go ahead. Well, I think it also helps that like, this is a pretty free form unscripted podcast. Yes. Where, you know, like podcasts like Magnus archives and, and other such basically radio plays that are just in the new radio plays for the new generation. Like those require scripting and a lot more actors and like audio designers, sound effects, stuff like that. Like, those ones have a much bigger crew and often a like a longer turnaround between seasons and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I say from my entirely like no knowledge on the actual creator side, I just listen to them sometimes <laughs> and I'm like, boy, this seems pretty hard. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> for us, it's, it's funny because this podcast is like almost insultingly easy for red and I, because we just, yeah. we make our videos, you know, and then we just talk about them and then answer some questions. So we have like almost no prep on our, and that goes into the, this podcast and it was kind of funny because as we were getting you know into the the first few episodes it's like oh my god people really like this it was funny to think about like the time investments to the time output <laughs> so like red and i will spend hours and hours and hours days and days and days just like you know blood sweat and tears on these like 10 15 minute episodes and then we spend an hour and a half on the podcast and we have an hour and a half of content it's like how does this work the secret is having an editor <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the secret is having an uh, editor because i spend like six hours <laughs> editing the podcast so that's where that hour and half yeah. of content is coming from um <laughs> yeah and we love you for yeah, it thank you, thank you. It's, it's just it's just so you know this is kind of like when we were making the pins you know where it's like oh my god I, i'm gonna i'm gonna draw two tiny little figures with simple block line art and basic colors and then we're gonna send them off and then they sell ridiculously well <laughs> compared yeah. to everything else we've ever made merch-wise. It's, um, it's honestly kind of insane. And even our, our friends at Crowdmade who have been so generous in like reaching out to us and helping us do this, they're like, holy hell, you guys, these pins really sell. <laughs> We're like, shit, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Talk to our fans about it. They're He's the ones like, who, are, who are so excited. I understand the appeal of having a lot of small, shiny things. So I get why I would buy these pins. <laughs> I yeah. didn't realize it was universal. So yeah. Uh, the dragon horde instinct. Anyway, yeah, I think the takeaway here is that, you know, you don't you should if you can work on a project with other people, that's going to make your life a lot easier. Everyone's got their own specialties. And so, you know, teamwork really makes the dream work when it comes to starting things like a podcast or, you know, making a YouTube video or whatever creative content you've got going. Hell yeah. You know, maybe you're not the greatest audio editor in the world, but you can host like a like a dream. That's where your best friend who's <laughs> been working on Audacity since they were five really comes in. So, uh. You know, team up, make a squad. Party comp is Hell important. Yeah.
assemble your superhero mm-hmm. team. <laughs> exactly. This next question comes from Fist of Life to Blue slash All. Which flavors of tea are your favorite? Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, so it's it's a situational thing. Um, Cyan and I have a tea cabinet that is cartoonishly huge and inside of which contains no fewer than about 50 different types of tea. Um, in like usually like a couple ounce tins or like boxes with like 20 or 30 bags. Um, I like to start the day with a nice, uh, a black tea, usually an Earl Grey uh, of some variety, um, because we have a few. Uh, and then usually I'll try to alternate like black, green, black, green, assuming that I, I get through like four pots in a day. Some days I need more, some days I need less. Um, for green teas, I have uh, a Japanese sencha tea that I really like. Almost all of our stuff is from Harney and Sons. They are such good tea makers. It's kind of insane. And they have a huge catalog. So this is not sponsored, but they make some bomb ass <laughs> tea. Um, last week was Lucky Brain. This week was Harney and Sons. Come on, our doors open, guys. Uh, we will talk about this more if you ask us to. We're, anyway, we're clearly uh, willing to sell out. Yeah. No, it's not selling out. We already like this stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess the but, jeans yeah. all over again, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. The thing it with is. the Lego sponsorship was this was just like us all the time, except this time we recorded it and put it up online. <laughs> it's mm-hmm, the only difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like a really nice uh, Earl Grey. Um, Harney and Sons has some good ones, but some nice like green teas are good too. Jasmine, Jasmine's really nice. That's what I'm drinking right now. Um, different teas for different situations. That's really yeah. the thing. You got you got to mix and match. Catch me over here drinking Lipton black tea on every occasion. <laughs> oh, how are we friends? <laughs> I don't know. I'm a big green tea person. I, I studied abroad in uh, Shanghai for a while and we bought one very cheap brand of green tea there and I've just been like running that pack out ever since and I'm at the last like couple cups of it now and it, it's if I run out of uh, this I'm gonna be real sad guys. Indigo was I that the say- giant disc that you brought back? No so that a few I, I didn't oh, no. uh, so while I was studying abroad I I was living in Shanghai and we I traveled around a bit. I went to um, Chengdu and Beijing in particular as well as uh Koilin slash Yangshuo. Uh, but a friend of mine went up to Yunnan and she brought back these like packed discs of tea. Um, and so now I, I've chipped away at it a little bit, but I have not made much of a dent in my Yunnan okay. tea. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, maybe I'll put a picture of that up because it, it's it's sen- essentially a tea frisbee. I imagine you could, yeah. you know. Oh, beautiful. Uncle Indigo, Lyra I remember when cried. you first came back from China and you were over by my apartment and you brought this huge disc of tea. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Oh, boy. (laughs) I do want to clarify for those in the audience who think that I am an unrefined drinker in general. um, Tea is pretty much the only thing where my standards are like, you know, whatever I can put in the cup. Um, (laughs) Like, I'll, I'll make myself like fancy coffees and stuff. And I don't even particularly like that much coffee, which is why I, I... I get so fancy with it because I think coffee is mm-hmm. pretty much undrinkable unless you put other stuff in it. Um, yeah. I I actually made like my own kind of like pumpkin spice syrup the other week uh, because first of all, it makes your house smell amazing. Uh, yep. And second of all, it just basically gives you this like boiled down sugar syrup with spices and vanilla in it and you can just put it in stuff. You can put it in milk. No one will judge you. You're at home. You've been at home for eight months. Um, sorry, nine months. I forgot which month we, which month we were. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's and, you know, entirely like, fair. Your coffee standards are like astronomically high. Uh, and whenever you send me pictures of what you make, I'm like, damn, that looks impressive. I don't even like coffee and that looks good. See, I mean, I don't even like coffee either and I still make it. I don't understand it. Uh, I, I've been kind of trying to 
experiment with. Oh, go no, ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I go in the complete uh, opposite direction with it, where I really like coffee, so I try to just make, like, the nicest quality coffee I can without adding anything else to it. So, you know, you get those, like, good beans and, like, uh, grind them yourself. Mm, it's just, it's yeah. the inverse. See, I understand that. I, I have I have a few, like, friends and relatives who, who have that general attitude towards coffee. For me, it is just so bitter that the only thing my body registers is are you trying to fucking poison me what are you doing <laughs> um so like and, and it it runs the full spectrum like i've got i've got like the relatives who are like oh i've just ordered this delightful little espresso shot would you like some and i'm like uh sure and then it's just pain it's just terrible yeah. and then on the other side uh i once or uh, i once got like one of those cans of just instant coffee like bad instant coffee like folgers crystals or whatever and Oof. i was like I made myself one cup and I was like, am I dying? What's happening? Cause <laughs> it's just, there's like this petrol smell in all instant coffee. I think it has to be part of like the, the process mm -hmm. by which it's created. And I didn't know that was how it was supposed to work. So I was like, no, this is, oh no. And then a friend of mine, cause this was in college, a friend of mine came over and he was like, oh dude, are you just not gonna get, not gonna drink these? And I was like, no, never. And he was like, can I have it? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was done with it within a month. So, you know. Oh my gosh. The people who are like into coffee because of the actual coffeeness scare me. I like it because yeah. it adds a small shot of like undertone flavor to the things I'm actually interested in drinking, which are mostly like milk and sugar and caramel and such. So yeah, for me, it's like yeah. the people who aren't afraid of coffee. I am afraid of them. Good. Yeah, <laughs> I fear no man, but that thing fear me. scares me. Yeah. Oh, oh man, boy. I would love to talk about tea for hours but i believe that is all the time we have for today so red if you want to take us on home yeah uh all right uh well thank you all so much for listening uh if you want more of that sweet sweet osp content go check out our channel on youtube and if you want to ask a question for the next pod you can follow the link in the description to the ask os pod channel on discord for a chance for your question to be featured on the air until next time i've been red i've been blue and this has been an overly sarcastic podcast Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back with another episode on December 23rd, and you can catch all the OSP goodness over on our YouTube channel. If you enjoyed the pod, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the pod, consider joining the OSP Patreon for fun rewards and extra content. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance to be featured on our Q&A segment. And as always, links can be found in the show notes below. Thanks for listening.